0: Hello and welcome to the Four Color Nerds comic podcast, episode 24. I'm Ryan, and I'm joined by some other nerds, Carissa. Hello. Matt. Hi. Together we take on the week's comics. Christina is not here this week. She is sick. She will be returning next week. Each week we read a variety of comics and gather here to discuss them. This is a review show, so there will be spoilers. If you don't want to hear spoilers, take a break now and go read your week's books and then come on back. Each week one of us picks their favorite book of the week, and that's our pick of the week. This week, I am that nerd. This week, the pick of the week goes to Spider-Woman number five. No surprise coming from me. Our companion song for Spider-Woman number five is Just the Two of Us by Will Smith, because I think the song talks about what it's like to be a single parent, and I think that's a major, major theme in this issue of Spider-Woman. So I think the two go really well together.
1: From the first time the doctor placed you in my arms, I knew I'd meet death before I let you meet harm. Although questions arose in my mind, would I be man enough against wrong? Choose right and be standing up. From the hospital that first night, took an hour just to get the car seat in right. People driving off fast got me kind of upset. Got you home safe, placed you in your bassinet. That night, I don't think one wink I slept as I slipped out my bed to your crib. I crept touched your head gently, felt my heart melt, cause I knew I loved
0: you more than life. So, Spider Woman number five is my pick of the week. There are a lot. There are two other books that I could have easily also chosen for my pick of the week, but this one I felt really had a lot of emotional honesty to the book. This made me, although they're not related in subject at all, it made me think of the recent uh, Airboy, and that both of these books have, I think, a, a really searing honesty where the the writer and art, artist are showing you more than you normally see from an artist that they're. They're really showing you part of their life and their their struggle. This is written by Dennis Hopeless, uh, art by Javier Rodriguez and Alvaro Lopez. So there's a moment when people ask you how you're doing, and you can either tell them the truth, which nobody really wants to hear, or you can say everything's fine. In this one, Jessica tells the truth when people ask her how she's doing. So you get these panels of her. Basically, her house is destroyed. She's covered in spit-up. And looks exhausted. Um, you get really cool panels with motion through them, which I, I'm a huge fan of. And I think Spider-Woman does exceptionally well. Uh, but these aren't fight scenes. These are her preparing. These are her, like, taking care of the kid. I, I like this one because it, at first you think she's actually just talking to you. And then you realize that she's actually talking to her friends who have come to visit, um, neither one of whom are parents. So when she's really honest with them and tells them how her day is going, they have this look of horror on their face. And then she says, oh, yeah, I, I shouldn't be I shouldn't say that things to f- people who are not parents, which I think is is really honest in the book. I also like in this very opening sequence the way that they construct the panels. I, I think the page layout here really shows some some excellent craft. Um, there's a scene where you have just part of her face where the baby starts crying. So you get this sense of like disorientation and being out of focus um, right from the very beginning. You also have a really good facial acting in the drawing where you see thoughts and emotions playing across her face. Then there's also these long vertical panels uh, throughout the book uh, in the beginning where she's moving. So it's, it's basically each panel has her doing something different, but it's all one continuous motion. So I think that the layout of that panel is really clever and creative. That this book doesn't take an easy like grid layout to the book, which keeps it visually interesting and moving along really well. So in this one, uh, like I said, she is exhausted and worn out by taking care of the kid. So Clint takes her out uh, to go to like the park. And as they're walking through town, um, one of her terrible like, D-list um, animal-themed supervillains is like robbing a bank on the same street. Um, she doesn't like that because she has the kid in the stroller, which is putting him in danger. So she spider-shocks the shit out of him. And basically just starts punching him over and over again until he apologizes yeah. for putting her kid in harm, which Clint basically says, well, you know, it's good to see there's still, still some fight left in you, that you're still you underneath it all. And then she has Carol comes over to visit with her. And again, this is another series of panels that are constructed really well and also use a lot of motion throughout panels. But these aren't like fight scenes, like I said before, like we've seen. These are them sitting and watching TV and talking about their day. Just is kind of where Jessica starts to realize that what used to be exciting to her now just sounds like almost dying over and over again. So I think she's starting to realize some things as a parent that she used to do when she was single, uh, not single, when she was like a, a not a parent that she could do without a second thought now cause her a lot of anxiety and doubt. Things are not the same for her anymore. Then they have, they all decide to go out and she leaves the baby with uh, the porcupine that she's been kind of training to be. Like her sidekick when she wasn't able to actually physically do the superhero things. And now he's kind of like, almost like a nanny. He learned how to take care of kids in prison. Or well, not in prison, while he was on parole. So he's pretty good at it. These these next couple pages, I don't... There's this interesting thing they do where they black out everyone's faces. And I don't... I think it's really interesting to look at. And I'm sure they're trying to say something with that. So if anyone else has any ideas on what it is they're trying to do, I, I would appreciate...
2: It's like very 60s, very, I guess. It's kind of like a 60s film, like cartoons and film. They used to do stuff like that. It's like it's, it's like it's an art style. I know like some Bond movies used to do stuff like that, things like that.
0: Yeah, it's it's definitely an artistic choice they're making. I also like that they're doing more, more cartooning here rather than showing you their actual words that they're saying. They're just little bubbles above their head that have pictures of what they're saying, which I think kind of tells you... And they do this with Rocket a lot, too, where she's not really in the moment. She's not paying attention to what's really happening. She keeps thinking about all the horrible things that could be happening with her babysitter. You know, that he's let the baby roll off the table and lit the building on fire. And this is all she can think about. And then she realizes that he's a supervillain. And she's left her kid with a supervillain. So she runs home, finds that everything is fine. Kid is asleep and fed and everything's okay. And he was actually able to clean the apartment, uh, which shocks her. But then he explains that, you know, he's been doing this longer than she has, and she's going to get a lot better at it, which is nice. But the main, I guess, crisis in this issue is Jessica trying to decide if she can go back out into the world as a superhero, if she can risk her life when her kid depends on her. Um, So she has a lot of back and forth with with Carol about this, and she comes to the decision that when – she When Captain America and all the Avengers and stuff found her, they didn 't really lecture her on how to be a good person or a superhero. They showed her by example, and she wants her kid to see the world is you know to be like a hero, so she wants to show him by example so that 's why she 's going to go back out into the world to to set an example for the child of how you should be so the issue doesn't have a, a lot of action to it. But I think it has a lot of a lot of character development, and I think it's really honest. It's well written. The art is as always amazing. I loved this. Did you guys read it?
2: I did read it. I, this one hit me just like right over the head. Like I think it's. I actually find it very interesting that you like it and
0: choose it. So much. I've seen the struggle. The struggle is real.
2: Saying that you don't have an understanding of it, I think Matt can attest. It is completely different. It is it's you think you know and i'm not saying it to be insulting cuz it, it is trying at any level but it's completely different and this like I was shocked, verbatim. Those there is panels, and I posted them earlier, verbatim how I felt. Like even things like the the horror movie thing. I've had that conversation with my friends. I can't watch them. Those thoughts being out, i thought that that things like thinking that you rolled over on the baby and looking for them, checking if they're like all those crazy things that oh oh they're oh yeah, just like a lot of media. You think oh yeah they're just exaggerating for laughs or whatever. I'm like no, I've done that, and so it really hit me. I'm like this is so real i love this this is like amazingly familiar to me and i i could not give the writers more credit because it's just dead on well
0: one thing to to keep in mind for this is not only so the writer the artist and the editor they're all new parents so they're all it's they hit the nail on the head they absolutely did a fantastic job
1: i have to wonder if that was part of the pitch for the book series
0: Mm, interesting probably I mean, it's an unusual direction to take the character in, right?
1: It completely came out of, and I'm using a term that's not in my bailiwick because fuck baseball, left field. I think this
0: is a really good example of why people say, write what you know, because you can write honestly. This particular issue
2: was like exact words and phrases and descriptions and explanations that I know I've used recently. That's
0: when I I compared it sort of to to Airboy, um, which was just this searing cut to the bone Truth, not pleasant truth, not conversations or things, but very, very honest. And honesty is, to me, the most interesting thing to read.
2: Even before I was a parent, you think you know, but you don't know. And even your friends who've had, you know, other been around, well, I've been around little kids. I see they wake you up a lot. You don't know. It's so different.
0: You enter into a sleep deprived insanity for about six months, basically.
1: Yes, Months. Yeah, sure, months. <laughs> <laughs> months.
0: I think it's interesting that I put myself on a different side of the door for that conversation than you guys do. But the, but,
2: but that's why I find it so interesting that you like this so much. Because you are relating to it on a in a different way, but still liking it for the same reasons, I guess is what I'm trying to say, which I find
0: very interesting. This book, I think, speaks to a, a real place, and it, it really resonates with me. I really, really like this book. I ended up giving it four and a half venom blast i will give it
1: four and a half hedgehog babysitters
2: i gave it five i can't watch horror movies because like i said it just i felt like it was my words coming off those pages that
0: panel with the horror movie when i read that i i've had that exact conversation with you so Mm -hmm.
1: different for dads maybe i get defensive like taken is like yeah that's that's exactly what it would be like yeah
2: It's just not okay. I I used to love horror movies. I can't watch them anymore.
0: I mean, that's the moment that Jessica has where she has the the fear of what's going to happen to her child and that she can't, that life is different now. But she has to make the decision to, I mean, in her case, it's go back out and be a superhero. But I think a lot of new parents struggle with, you know, rejoining the workforce and, you know, is what they're doing worth the time, the irreplaceable time that they're giving up with their children? There's a struggle, you know, I think it speaks to sort of a universal human condition.
1: I think it's more a universal American condition. I'm pretty
0: sure they have parents everywhere.
1: I'm pretty sure they have parents everywhere, but I'm pretty sure the statements and the feelings that she's having right here, the whole entering the workhorse and whether or not I'm going to go back and that sort of stuff, it's not a question that they get to ask. True,
0: or in some places they have a lot longer. They have actual paid maternity and paternity leave and have longer to make that decision. But yeah, Yeah. you're right. they're, They're then the opposite end of the spectrum where it's like, You got to get back out into the fields and harvest. You know, the whole reason you had kids was to create extra workers. Not. Yep. Five days later, selected a book. Uh, She had picked Rat Queens number fifteen from Image Comics, written by Curtis J. Weeb. And and Sonoa, the
1: brother of the shaman chick, he's basically trying to get the queens to kind of go against Hannah and basically telling them about how she did blood magic inside the chamber of the council for lack of a better term to kind of bring about the death and destruction of the council to to kind of bring them down, trying to get the Queens to to go against Hannah. And, you know, she has enough of it, you know, at the end of the story, she's kind of, it's like a flashback storytelling kind of scene. And she's like, all right, whatever, this is bullshit. And then they're all kind of arguing about the whole problem she shows look i don't have any pentagram scars on my hand so technically that could have been healed though it wasn't and then she goes on to tell no i actually did fuck everything up it's
2: not in that way
1: i'm like well, look here's the thing yes i did do that thing but not the way he says it i was much cooler about it and i didn't need a demon to do it though i'm still trying to figure out does she have the horns because she's touched by a demon or because her parents were like necromancers Is she part
0: demon? Her parents, I think, made a pact with a demon. But tieflings are a separate race. She's like, in D&D terms, I think she's a tiefling.
1: Like the children of Nephilim. So they continue on to have the argument, and she just keeps feeling more and more betrayed. And they're trying to get her to listen to reason, but asshole's there. And he kind of leaves the room so they can have more of an argument. They're still trying to talk her into it, but they're not really being super, just kind of stop and let's chill out kind of thing they're they're doing what rack queens do and they're lovingly arguing and she just kind of runs out and then does a scene that probably gets the book an r rating and then they're all arguing and and just kind of doing the the background stuff with sonoa and just saying look this is not how we wanted this to fucking go this is not a huge fucking problem with us you asshole and then she shows up with a badass look
2: she goes from rockabilly to punk rock
1: I thought it was pretty cool. I think she's getting ready for Burning Man, except probably Burning School of Mages. I like Tank Girl, and that's what this made me think of. Oh,
2: yeah. Well, her look, yeah, for sure.
1: Yes. Um, But she still says, look, fuck you guys, because you don't fucking care about me. Fuck these people. Fuck this place. But the guards still then come and capture her, even though the queens are kind of trying to stop them. (laughs) And, you know, they're running in to save her. And then we find out that Snowa is a backstabbing bastard who was being controlled by a demon. Fucker. Not just
2: any demon, though.
1: Demon who her parents made the deal with. Yeah. Who, I think, was trying to kind of get her to come back into the fold, basically. Yes. He's been controlling the situation and kind of trying to... I think that she's kind of the price that they paid for power. And he's kind of trying to come to collect or. There's some sort of weird obsession or uh, whatever demons call love or prized possession kind of thing. So he's kind of orchestrated this whole thing to get her to come along with him and be on his side, I guess, would be the best way of saying it. And is kind of twisting and making everything seem like she's alone and he's her only option. So he shows up to kind of get her out of the, the void prison that they've got her locked in, which is literally just this huge white space with her floating which honestly mages that's a fucking horrible idea don't put somebody with magic powers Just
2: give them their own pocket realm
1: in a place where they can do nothing but meditate horrible fucking idea
0: like phantom zone
1: yeah i mean maybe she can't access her powers or something in there but if she can that's a fucking really bad idea and if they ever get out they had nothing but time to think about stuff and as she'd goes over in the, the book, everybody else had to go to school to learn magic, whereas she just kind of grew up magic was a part of her. She just went to the school so that she kind of had a legitimate reason to use it. I, I think
0: in like d d terms, which I mean, this book is basically a dD adventuring party is she's like a warlock pretending to be a mage. Their power comes from uh, an infernal pact, or I guess she could also be like, maybe like more like a sorcerer. Mm-hmm.
2: Magic aside, I thought it was funny because I once played in a Dragon Shards game where I had a character who had horns who tried to hide them and she used to braid her hair over them in that in a kind of like a bun kind of way. And it's just funny. I'm like, hey, someone else had that idea and used it in something.
1: Nice.
0: That interesting. She is not hiding who she is at all.
1: She's got this whole angry face uh, and it goes, and if the necromancer can't bring back the dead, what's the fucking point? Yeah. And he goes, the world doesn't work that way. Or she says, it will. Release me from this prison and I'm yours. And he goes, and what if your friends? Uh-huh. So she's looking back at Betty and like with the sad look. When she looks- says
0: she doesn't want there to be any more secrets,
2: Betty says that that's what her real name was. At late earlier, she says her real name is Petunia.
0: I, I really liked Betty in this. I think. I mean, she's my favorite Rat Queen, so I'm probably always going to like her in whatever issue it is. But I felt like she is a nice contrast to Hannah.
1: Yeah. She's light where. Hannah's well, I like dark. it where
0: she's like, you're trying to tell us something, but you don't have the words. And she's like, hugging her leg and like, you know, telling her it's going to basically going to be okay. And she's like, no, it's not. <laughs> you know,
2: sometimes not enough. And it's like, oh, it's so sad.
1: They're still together. Can only think that they're before she got taken away. It seemed like they were splitting up, right? But it seems like I think they're doing a bigger plan to kind of break her out. Uh, and there's going to be. Some heady shit going on later when they find out she's been broken out already and the demons, you know, got got her on his well, side. Well, I
0: think one of the themes of this book has always been like us against the world, that the Rat Queens have a, an unbreakable bond. And I mean that bond gets tested over and over again, but so far it's proven to be very, very strong. I think this is about testing that, that bond, how far it goes.
1: I fucking love Rat Queens. And just to tie this over, I'm going to give this one four and a half makeovers.
2: I will give it hard. Four and a half mohawk is a full on mohawk.
0: I will give this one four and a half pirate ships.
2: Okay. Monstrous number four, Majori Lu and artist uh, Sasana Takeda. We start off with what we seem to think is. Our um, main protagonist's sister of some sort and she is speaking with the wolf queen so it gets a little confusing at this port because they look so much alike uh, except for the mask and the tail and they're and you get a little bit more of the story where they're talking about the treaty with the Arcanics Um, I think mechanics and about something about this big explosion this big battle that took out like hundreds of miles and there was only some survivors and these survivors they only have six of the eight and i guess they're looking for the rest and when they show her walking after talking to the monkey king who made an appearance uh they go into this room and has six children chained to a wall with some of those cats that we love uh guarding them one for each and a knife in front of them so we go back to our main character with the little um fox girl um i call her shippo but that's not her name we see like in the temple and the flashback basically i'm not sure if it's like a flashback or if it's more like how naruto does the nine-tailed fox in him where they show him like in a cage like a set like it's like a representation of that spot inside their body that's kind of how i see this tentacle eye monster thing that's in her and it's basically saying it you know, you have awoken me. I wasn't supposed to be awake. Why'd you touch the mask? Now I'm hungry. I need to feed. And um, she it looks like she's going to go for the little the little fox. But uh, she starts um, chanting and saying a prayer about the goddess and the light. And she eventually goes and finds uh, one of the soldiers who's trying to get away. Because apparently the boar is not intelligent. It has to be an intelligent creature to feed this monster. She does that. Comes back and what they come upon is the rest of those soldiers who are just like cut up and she recognizes the weapon. And when master Ren comes back, she is asking him like, you know, how has this happen? What did, where did this come from? And then there's a dust courtier because apparently they're the only ones that use this type of weapon and he's all winged and coming down and he has her bundle, which has that mask in it. And he, he actually looks like he's wearing a mask and his uh, staff or whatever that weapon was called has one of those weird sideways eye things that seems to be a recurring symbol in this book. And so there's going to be a showdown with them. So yeah, it was a little confusing. Uh there's lots like we said there's lots of little Tetsuo arm action happening. Um it's just gorgeous still the drawings and um I'm curious you get a, you learn, learn a little bit more, but it like I said it's definitely world building is trying to give you more sides and backstory of what's happening in this world and why things are going on, but it's getting a little bit harder to, to follow. And especially with the, the drawings, these the two characters look so much alike. And I know me and Matt agree that we think that they must be sisters.
1: I really like the story. Uh, I like how it intertwines somewhat kind of anime-ish uh, themes with fairy, uh, you know, the fairy world. Uh, it's got the multi-tailed animals. Uh, the look is very... It's not anime, but it's got an anime, like a realistic anime look to it. But they're, but Monstrous has always kind of look like that to me. And I really, I really like the book of how it kind of ties everything together. Uh, then it's also got some of, and I like to say they're Lovecraftian themes, but ultimately they're probably anime inspired. Like the demons and stuff like that. Those are, those are manga and, and anime demons. So, it's, it is Lovecraftian, too, but it's Lovecraftian because the anime got it from Lovecraft. In the context of this book, I think it's more anime-inspired than it is just directly Lovecraft-inspired. Because uh, nobody has fucked up horror like the Japanese.
2: I gave it a, I gave it a three, okay, maybe,
0: three
1: cattails. Uh, I still gave it, uh, I think I'll give it four. Oh my god, what is coming out of her No,
0: It seems pretty Lovecraftian to me. Uh there there are parts I liked and there are parts I didn't like. Um the art is, is amazing. It's beautiful. The story is very confusing though. Um I actually like all the parts that aren't the main story way more than I like the main story. I, I don't find the protagonist that interesting. I find everything around her really interesting. Um like I like the, the court in the beginning with the monkey king, I like the little uh the fox girl, um I like the cats. I especially like the part where the cat shows up and the little girl grabs the cat and is hugging it and the cat is trying to get away. If you've ever held a cat that doesn't want to be held, um, that's a pretty perfect uh, drawing of what a cat does when you're trying to do that. Uh, I also, most issues of Monstrous, my favorite part is the last page where you have the professor uh, explaining the world to you. I like that he has all his little kitten students uh, around him and he has these dead rats. He's like dipping in chocolate to give to them. Um, as like treats. I, I like the little details of the world, but the the story is pretty confusing to me. But ultimately I, I overlook that because the art is so good. Um, I gave it three and a half. So our next uh, our next book is Clean Room Number no. Six, written by Gail Simone, Art by John Davis Hunt. Clean Room is a truly disturbing and horrifying. Book. There's actually a, a quote on the the front cover of the book that I actually think is a really sums up the book almost perfectly. Which is a, a paranoid Wonderland of madness, weirdness, and pain, firmly in the grand tradition of classic Vertigo titles. And I think that is a really, really good summary of this book. So, this is the continuing story of
1: Jesus. That's from Nancy A. Collins, Swamp
0: Thing, Vamparella, and Sunglasses After Dark. So, this this story is the continuation of. Uh, Astrid Mueller and her kind of struggle against these these demons. I think it's coming into more focus who Astrid is. At first we weren't sure if she was a villain or a hero, and I still wouldn't say she's a hero, but I think she's definitely out to to save the world. Um, so you have, it kind of opens with some cops in a like a coffee shop um, talking about the junkie who got murdered and kind of the defensive wounds on his hands, and if they think that there might be a new serial killer. Um, we then go to The clean room, and I just, I really, I really like the drawings of Astrid. I I just, I really like how clean and composed and in control she looks when they draw her. I just, I I really enjoy the visual that they have for her. I think she's one of the better character designs I've seen uh, in a long time. So we get a little uh, panel there of the guy who got uh, possessed that she broke by telling him about that horrible swimming pool incident. Mm. Um, So he's kind of lying on the floor in a fetal position. He's bleeding from his eyes it's it's not a good day for him and he's telling her the 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 is it the surgeon or the doctor the surgeon the surgeon is going after chloe who's the sort of the actual protagonist of the book who's we're we're learning things as she learns them um so you have that guy who's possessed by the demon that was exorcised so he's not quite as like malevolent or powerful i really like the way that they do the body of the spark, spark. the way they do the body of the possessed person it looks so messed up it's like someone trying their best to imitate a human but it's like he's just wearing this like flesh suit that doesn't doesn't fit and he can't operate all the muscles correctly and he looks pretty messed up
1: it's a multi-dimensional being controlling a three-dimensional yeah. body
0: and then like later on you learn that the guy actually has like like broken bones and stuff from the way that the body is being contorted this also really reminded me this issue there's a uh, Leonardo DiCaprio movie that uh, Martin Scorsese did Shutter Island. It reminds me when the surgeon shows up uh, here and he's telling Chloe that he's her doctor and that she's having like basically a psychotic episode and you know none of this is real and she needs to you know needs to come with them, which I guess I also do in total recall so that was kind of i I, I got a strong sense of that uh, that movie going on there.
1: Random doctor shows up and shows you you're crazy yes.
0: and then you end up killing the person, yeah so Chloe sees what happened to her boyfriend, like what made him kill himself. So he got a, like a flash drive from Astrid basically saying, you know, this is going to be the truth, but if you're not ready for it, it's going to break you. Like, don't show this to anyone who's not ready. And he watches it. And what I really detail in that scene that I really like is he has this cat sitting next to him while he's watching the video. But as soon as he starts playing the video, like the cat like runs off, like in terror. So whatever it is he's seeing, he doesn't really take it very well. And I also like that there's these kind of blank, like, word balloons or thought balloons there. Like, he's been broken. He has no words to express what he's just seen. Astrid has shown him the truth of the world, and it's it's too much for him. So you see him, he basically kills himself. Um, so Chloe knows now what's kind of happened. And this, uh, this surgeon shows up and is telling her, like I was saying, that he's been her doctor since she had her her accident and, you know, all these are like really vivid hallucinations that she's having. And so she, the doctor is telling her to go pack her stuff and she's going around to, to start packing stuff. And she goes in the bathroom and she sees that bathtub with all the knives that are sticking up. And then she takes the knives and stabs the, <laughs> the surgeon in the head. Uh, when the surgeon, because he's like a demon kind of riding that body, doesn't really realize something is wrong at first until he sees the image in the mirror. And then you have, like, a really violent struggle with them over, like, the bathtub and the, all the knives there um, that I thought was really, really impressive that they had set up something, and now they're bringing it back. Um, and it's it's pretty disturbing.
2: I thought other ones, other issues have been creepy just from description, but maybe more of a psychologically creepy. This one, I was trying to read through panels as fast as I could, so I didn't so have to look at certain ones because I just did not want to look at the drawing. No, it was really good. It was... Messed up,
0: and as the the doctor, or, I'm sorry, the surgeon keeps fighting them. He gets more and more inhuman, and it gets pretty pretty gross and very disturbing. He's also becomes less and less like sophisticated uh, as time goes on. He gets like more bestial in what he's saying and what he's doing. And Astrid wants to talk to him, and we cut to like a scene with that crazy doctor guy that who always sees everyone naked and his price for working with astrid was being able to see her assistants like naked every day so there's that weirdo
2: i didn't understand why the weird sex perv was on the on a ship i'm kind of curious to know his story because i thought he was just very weird
1: she brought him on board specifically to make that ship it's called a cloud smasher,
0: and he's on this like battleship where he's built this gigantic gun of some kind and they have it aimed at the the city that I guess is over Barcelona that these things are are from that's hidden so she threatens to blow it out of the sky if he doesn't back off which he does and then at the end she kind of asks him you know are you you know what are you are you an alien are you a, an angel a demon you know what are you and he tells her that they're none of those things that they're prisoners of some kind and that's when you see kind of astrid uh telling her that there's you know there's more to the world and that they're going to they're going to confront it so that this is kind of the next phase of of clean room so the first arc is kind of coming to a close and we're beginning a new a new journey
2: i didn't recognize the logo that was on the letter and on the flash drive and then they show it again at the eve at the end i I know they refer to the business and the like group that she astrid runs but I always thought more of the Rook. This was like this weird pink M&M or A&M or.
1: Astrid Mueller.
2: Yeah. Astrid. Okay. That would make sense in Astrid Mueller. Cause I'm like, what's that like Avon? What's going on with that? No, really creepy, really disturbing. Fuck that doctor. I do not like that. I, I still, I really like clean room. It really is effective and it does a really good job, but yeah, it is, it is not pleasant to read.
0: But in a good way. Clean Room is really creepy and disturbing. The writing's really good. The art is disturbing in ways that you don't normally see. I I enjoyed it a lot.
1: Does it say horrible things about me that I'm not creeped out by this book? Eh, It's really good. It's really intriguing and interesting. I don't get disturbed by that. I don't know why. I just kind of find it like, huh, that's an interesting perspective on things. I enjoy it. It was uh, prime for it to go. I think Nancy Collins is a little quote on the cover, except for the fact that it's disturbing, because I don't really find it disturbing. Uh, was pretty accurate. Um, I like Doctor Hagen's Cloudbuster. That ship is just insane. I really, honestly think that it's not necessarily that they're demons or anything, but just the sheer fact that it's called a cloudbuster and it's somewhere above, you know, a place on Earth. I think that the the whole thing is about extra-dimensional beings who some people perceive as angels and some people might perceive as demons, but they actually have like a 3D-dimensional location, Uh, and then the Cloudbuster is there to just kind of destroy things. I'm really interested to see where the series goes. Uh, It's really, really spot-on good for the kind of story it's trying to tell. It's really kind of twisted, but it's not disturbing. Uh, I will give it
0: four Cloudbusters. What do you think, Carissa?
2: I gave it three and a half flash drives.
0: I I find it very disturbing. So, Carissa, you had some uh, barbarian goodness for us. It was
2: um, Red Sonia number three, Marguerite Bennett, and Aneke. I'm sorry, artist person, I don't mean to butcher your name. Um, this is actually one of Christina's picks, but I got you back, her back, so I'm covered.
0: So, so was Ratcliffe. Oh, so was Ratcliffe,
2: obviously. Matt was very excited to get to cover that. So, Red Sonia, <laughs> after seeing that the after the king died, and you know her being bored because this um, everything was so picturesque and there was nothing to do, and then she finds out there is actually is something gnarly afoot, and she is not pleased. So, she makes her way to find out. Who's in charge and who's allowing this stuff ha- to happen and she's gonna give them a talking to in you know, a red Sonya kind of way she finds out it was it the guy who took over the kingdom is the weird like merchant guy that she was like doing it with in the caravan who like carved her that little bird back in the like the flashbacks of like the good times that she was having it's like yeah what the hell and you know what being a king did not make his hair look good. He has some serious like Jerry curl fro going on. And I, he just does not look attractive. I mean, he looked okay, I guess back in the other issue, but something about being king, he just looked kind of
1: of. Eh. I picture him with a really high pitched voice.
0: time has not been good to him
2: yeah really exactly he just yeah so she tells him like look this is not cool what are you doing and he goes so basically she gives him a talking to and he has like he's basically the power has gone to his head he thinks he's um doing the good work and he he has this vision of society and he wants her to be his queen and like he's like you turned down the other king and like i worked hard i made all his money i became like his confidant and i did all those that you know basically i did this all for you but as my queen i'll keep you in check and you know she's like uh-uh no man owns me you know typical red sony kind of stuff right so his ring was pretty cool it's a sweet little like hawk thing and she, she's like you know and but there's this whole thing where he says like you think you're the only one but you're not like basically tries to say that she's not special but she takes off and then you find out what his line means when he says call in my hounds and basically oh, i skipped the part oh so he does send the hunter after her but ends up being like her buddy he's like ah nah, you're cool sonya you go i got your back i'll hold them off for a bit that 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 didn't fly over too well he kind of has to suspect that so then he sends the hat these hounds and they're basically like three red sonya cosplayer wannabe chick and they're all like kind of like different versions of her, like one short one one with bigger thighs. You know, they all have red hair. They're dressed in
1: slightly different armor.
2: Yeah, they're dressed in scale male bikinis like her. But they think like, oh, hell no. They don't want to because they, they were ordered to bring her back alive. They're like, no, we'll get rid of her and then we'll be it. They're all competitive and, you know saying like bitch had her turn you know they want to be like the new like i don't know maybe they want to all three be the queen i don't know like together they'd be bitchy towards red sonya and they're coming after her um it's going like they're on the hunt so what do you guys think of this
0: (laughs) i think your comment about them being like cosplayers for red sonya is really accurate like if you were at a like comic-con and you saw like the red sonya table or whatever these would be the girls that were standing around it like they, they're pretty good, you know. They're like B plus copies of her, but there's no, there's, there's no one like Red Sonia. I, I liked it. I like the way they draw her face, but some of the other faces I'm not so crazy about. I think the art is. Like I, I said, I could not stand
2: the king. He looked gross, I
0: and mean, maybe that was the point. You're- he looks like maybe like Prince Valiant or the. Guy in the 80s, metal band, that's not the cool one?
1: I think saying metal band is going a little too far. Maybe like a metal pop?
2: Or kind of like a weird-out uh, Yankovic, but in armor.
1: Striper, maybe. <laughs>
2: striper. But no, no, he kind of had like a weird-out, but in armor kind of look. But a brunette, black hair instead of red. So so not a cool guy, That's <laughs> what we're yeah. saying.
1: Jerry Curl. Yeah,
2: I tell you, he had Jerry Curl. I said that.
1: No, no, that's what I'm saying. I, I can't get past that. Oh. <laughs> I think one of these is supposed to be an homage to Wendy Peeney.
2: ElfQuest?
0: Ah, yeah. It just seems like a really long story that I didn't have time My to go and read. My college
2: English teacher helped write the Quest I think, role-playing
0: game. My teacher in junior high biology uh, wrote for Dungeon Magazine. So th- this this book has a lot of attitude. I think the art's good. I think it's got a lot of attitude.
1: But not like Power Rangers' attitude.
0: No, like Red Sonia is, is a force like a of personality. Attitude. I mean, this in the same way that that Conan has a definite feel and attitude to it. This this book has the same, which makes mm, sense. I think
1: it's a different attitude. It's but different, but I mean, it, it's, it's the, the same, same, same idea.
0: Yeah. What did you end up uh, actually giving it, Carissa? I
2: gave it a solid like three and a half uh, hawk rings. Wait, you said hawk, right? Yes. Okay. Not cock. That'd be completely different. And there was none of those in the comic that I saw. <laughs>
0: dirty mine. I know you. What? No. <laughs> I can't.
1: I can't even.
2: <laughs> I mean, that ring, I guess, could be used for that, but it would be very, very small. <laughs> well, look at the guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <sighs> ah, we just earned always our classy that's the nerds i
2: have a classy day and what can i say
1: <laughs> uh four sets of chainmail armor
2: star brand and Nightmask number four by marvel comics greg wiseman and dominique domo staton and then Stanton. sorry whatever Staten. danielle d no oh, man come on
1: i think that's actually a dude's name i think that's Danielli.
2: Daniele d nicolo So this starts, I kind of like, really like how this one starts. So it starts with Kevin basically saying he's going to get killed and he's going to explode in what he guesses is five seconds. And so then each each page basically starts with five and then he'll say something and then it kind of would flash back to where Adam's at, which I don't even know, some weird spacey celestial dimensional, I don't know where he's at. And he's trying to help them at the same time. And then it will go four and then it has another one. So basically they're breaking it down. And so one's arguing to save, no, we're not going to let, you know, Kevin explode and destroy the planet. And they're going, well, you know, we're going to, because it will achieve balance. So then when it gets down, the countdown starts, basically he, he's like, he transmutes water into flesh and he's basically covering it up because he doesn't want to explode. <laughs> Who wants to explode, really? And basically, he saves himself. And there's this whole thing, and eventually he Adam steps back through, you know, and they fight. But the reason why I kind of like this comic because then it basically flashes them back to college, which is pretty much why I find this comic book interesting. I'm like, oh yeah, fighting, end of the world, things go boom. You can get that pretty much from any superhero comics, I'm going to say. But then in college, to me, is very interesting. (laughs) Just the fact that the weird dynamics, like, oh, you're your house rep, that person likes you, and the beer kegs, and they're using a superpower. And he's overhearing the girls talk about which one likes who, and I just find it all very cute. But then there's all this this weird subtext where the black and white dude, you guys help me. What is his name? The um, the be- in betweener, the in betweener, yes, in betweener. Thank you, he's
1: the guy at the end who's got the. Black. Gustav, dude. Yeah.
2: So, yeah, the guy who was there, have his
1: face is black and half it's white.
2: Yeah, so the guy who was there, who Adam was like, "Who are you? Where are you going?" His hands going through at the beginning. The one who said that they needed to have balance. um So he's talking to the in betweener later, and he's saying, "Oh no, that was just a test. We're ha- still having things in going, you know, in motion." And, and then at one point, they're at the temple of Palma, and there's a Cree, and I'm not sure who's with the Cree, but then they're talking to. It looks like it's a Groot. He says, "I am Trunk." though?
1: No? <laughs> I am Trunk.
2: And they're saying that he, they even mentioned that he's a really talkative tree. But he has like, wow, he has better cheekbones than Groot. I'll give him that and like a weird mouth. But yeah, it looks like a Groot. And I'm like, who is that? I mean, obviously than Trunk. It's it's a cute comic. I mean, it's like they're in college, but have has superpowers. Yeah, yes, not exploding is a good major in college.
1: All noble pursuits.
2: And so... Yeah, it was a fun read. But I do love that one of my favorite things is Kevin, which is Starbrand. He wears, like, throughout the comic, he'll have a Spidey Man shirt on. Or he'll have, like, a a Captain America shirt
0: on. He's like... Kind of like uh, the way Miss Marvel uh, idolizes the Marvel Universe. Um, I thought it was a perfectly fine comic that I didn't care about. Like, there's nothing wrong with it. I just don't find it very Hmm. interesting or characters I really know that much about. You didn't uh, read... I did when the they had the universe, whole thing you? with the... Is it like the engineer or the, the geneticist people with all that with Starbrand? Oh.
1: That's not what I mean by the new universe. I mean, you didn't read it back in the 80s when they actually came out with it? Uh, when Shooter was, back was like, in I, the 80s, I want to create my own Marvel I had universe. to get
0: from a discount bin. So some series I've read, some I haven't, and There are big gaps.
1: Oh. Oh, there was plenty of new I universe stuff. I wisely just picked <laughs> two Ghost
0: Rider and some Hulk.
1: Okay. So Starbrand and Nightmask are both characters from this thing called the New Universe, which I won't go into detail on, but they're they're basically from another thing that got adapted, like another plane on the multiverse that got adapted to the regular multiple uni- Marvel Universe when they last kind of restarted the Avengers. I think Starbrand and Nightmask were kind of the first arc right before they started. Yeah, there was a new started, person who became like Starbrand
0: and was basically going to explode and had to.
1: That's Kevin. Yeah. Well, he did explode and he killed the college. And I think that's kind of a callback that they have here of him, where he thanks Nightmask. I don't know Nightmask's real name. Adam. For Adam. Okay. Well, that's a good name for Nightmask. So he thanks Adam for basically talking him to get back into college the reason he thanked him is because the last time he was at college he kind of killed a whole bunch of people so which i find funny because they didn't start a civil war over that uh, i thought it was pretty good it's not a super deep book and it's not really a front it's not a spinner front book it's just not gonna ever be iron man or captain america or anything like that it's star brandon knight mask but it's still i thought it was a good book it was well done it was fun. They brought in some cosmic characters that you don't really see that often, even in Guardians. Because uh, <laughs> Guardians has kind of gotten a little bit too mainstream. And wow, that's the most hipster thing I think I've ever fucking said.
2: But, but you're not wrong, actually. So
1: Guardians, I, I well, I'm about to grow a mustache and wax it. But Guardians, <laughs> I liked a lot better. Before their studio back album? Back in the day, when it was
0: it was <laughs> cool.
1: It's It's true. We've gone mainstream. But this book is kind of like that. Um, and I do like the...
2: I like you before he was cool.
1: I did like kind of the college interaction. And I also picked up on the, the Miss Marvel parallel there. Uh, I will give it...
0: I think tonally this book belongs which like Miss Marvel, Patsy Walker, Squirrel Girl. Like those kind of books is the, the corner that this, this lives in. Like I said, it's it's, it's not... There's nothing wrong with it. I just Agreed. I didn't particularly care about it. I didn't think it was a very good example of that that corner. I think you know Miss Marvel and Patsy Walker are both better. So we've had kind of our our fill of uh, estrogen here, Matt. You're taking us over to the the testosterone uh, goatee side of the universe. Yes,
1: because facial hair, bros.
0: Awesome facial awesome hair, bros. Facial
1: hair, bros. With International Iron Man number one by Brian Michael Bendis, the writer. And Alex Maleev, the artist. This is the story of Tony Stark, who is no longer actually a Stark, uh, and he's trying to. Well, the subtext of the story, substory, subplot, is that he's trying to find who his parents actually are, which I think will be interesting once we actually find that out, or it will be boring. I'm hoping it will be interesting for the big fucking deal they're making out of it. But he's basically trying to figure out who his parents actually are. Though for most of this book, it's actually kind of a flashback to a relationship that he had in college when Tony Stark didn't have really much towards the way of facial hair, but he had long hair, which was weird. Uh, I'm just kind of. Oh, How did I they miss did this. That he's not uh, a Stark.
2: What was that in? I don't like it when they rewrite things that I really like. I'm like, no.
1: So, you know. When Tony left and went off into space, was also falling down a a mystery. Uh, Apparently, Howard Stark made a deal with aliens, uh, and it makes you think through this whole series that the differently abled child was Tony, and the reason he's so smart is that the aliens genetically altered his body, uh, and no, uh, Tony was actually an adoptee. Do you know what a recorder is? A living Mm -hmm. recorder? No now. Uh, the living recorders are these androids. Yeah, that's a watcher. The living recorders are these androids who are made by these... I think they're like little yellow dudes. But there's a living recorder that supposedly is not... Basically, didn't get deleted. Because it's supposed to be the living recorders. They go out and they experience stuff. And then they come back, they dump what they learned, and then they get... Del- uh, you know, they, they get C-3PO'd and sent back out. So that... They never have any of the previous secrets or anything, but there's this alien society that's just recording all the universal events and shit. But this one supposedly had not been wiped, and it had all these secrets and all this information. So it was doing kind of shady deals and selling science on Earth back before the modern Marvel age. Uh, But they're apparently keeping the storyline going, and now Tony's Wanting, now that he's not completely fucking insane from the shit that they did immediately before Secret Wars with the stupid white armor and shit. Um, Now he's basically going to try to figure out who Tony Stark actually is. But this story is the most long-winded build-up to fucking issue explanation yeah. I've ever done.
2: I appreciated it. It was my question. I know things now.
1: So this story is basically uh, a relationship that he had in college with this girl whose mother – I don't know if she's a brilliant scientist or just somebody who's in charge of a weapons company. Uh, And they – basically they're opposing kind of companies to Tony's dad. Um, But Tony and – is just fascinated by this girl and he gets uh, shocked by one of her guards who's then scared that Tony's dad's going to have him killed. Um, and then they actually date by way of going out to dinner with her parents where the dad is trying to basically drill Tony. Uh, and they go through this, this whole kind of little nice, I think vignette might be the right term for, you know, back when Tony was young and they had this uh, kind of tryst. And then uh, it comes to the future when Tony is Iron Man, which is actually kind of where it starts. And then it goes to the back and then comes back to the present where you see this, the girl that Tony was in college with is now, I guess, in charge of the weapons company. Uh, There was... Uh, a scene at the end of the dinner that he had with her parents where Hydra's attacking them uh, because apparently her mom had some sort of dealings with Hydra, but then left and nobody leaves Hydra. Uh, so they tried to kill her and Tony shot one of the Hydra guys. And then the girl shot uh, another one of the Hydra guys who was about to shoot Tony. So it all ended badly. And then at the end, you find out that the guys in armor, the robots or whomever that were... Kicking the crap out of Tony, even though we didn't get to see that fight. We just saw Tony laying there, uh, is actually the girl that he was kind of in love with in college. Um, but now she's got an eye patch and she's all tacked out and stuff. And, uh, that's kind of where we leave at the end of the book. Uh, I liked the way that they did this. It's Brian Michael Bendis. Uh, so everybody is kind of Tony. But I think they did a little bit of a better job on this with the the woman, not exactly sounding like Tony, uh, though, eh, still a little bit. So I'll, I'll give it three and a half Hydra agents.
2: I felt like to me, I almost felt like I was reading more of a DC comic, which I didn't really care for it that much. And I usually like Iron Man comics. I really like when Tony's portrayed, but I think since it didn't feel like Tony to me as much, um, at least the younger version. Didn't really much as much, um, and I didn't really know. Like I said, I didn't really know that backstory, so I was kind of grumbling through most of it. Um, I think I give it like two and a I half. I think this one uh, will entirely depend on how much
0: you like Brian Michael Bendis, because this is very, very bendis Um, the dialogue is all excellent, but everyone kind of sounds the same. Um, like there's good interplay between him and the the girl. Um, like there's like like that verbal sparring and going back and forth. That is kind of a hallmark of how he writes. Um, everyone, you know, sounds pretty clever, but everyone kind of sounds the same too. So if you, if you enjoy uh, Bendis, you're going to like this because that's what you're going to get. If you don't like it. Um, well, that's what you're going to get too. So kind of, kind of depends me. <laughs> I, I like that. I, it does annoy me sometimes that people sound the same.
1: The next book is Superman, American Yay. alien, number five by the illustrious Max Landis writer and the artist Francis Manipool. I'm probably butchering no, it's that. Menopool. name. It is uh, Minipool. He
0: was he's the artist and writer on Flash.
1: So this is the continuing story that it's kind of jumping ahead I don't know, months or years. It depends on which book uh, or which issue we've kind of been in in the life of Superman as he kind of builds up to being Superman, which I really am enjoying the fuck out of this series. The series is there with like Birthright uh, and Red Sun as uh, my one of my top Superman stories of Agree. all time. Throw
0: in All Star and we got the same list. Yeah.
1: Oh, well, I've got a couple others. But uh, yeah, throw an all star as well. It's just fucking divine. Uh, this book, it, it captures. One, it defeats the Superman curse because you've got Max Max Landis, who is a fantastic writer, and you've got competent artists on every single fucking issue, and you've just got this really good story that captures, which is ironic because the regular DC books are not capturing the character, but Max Landis is managing to capture the actual core of the, char- the character of Superman, and he's developing it over time in um, Superman American Alien. I would really... I would really appreciate it if they could just use this as the basis of the rebirth. But if we could just forget the New 52 and go with this, I'll be happy. And it, that's what's really matters, making Matt happy about <laughs> Superman.
0: Almost impossible, but yes. The
1: it is almost has impossible. It's
0: pretty damn close. So.
1: Yes. So he's been slowly building up to becoming Superman throughout the series, little Bits and pieces that are kind of teaching him life lessons, which is something they touched on in Man of Steel, something they touched a lot on in Birthright and I think in Secret Origins. Though so it's been years since I've read Secret Origins and I didn't appreciate it as fully as I might have, uh, the way I liked Birthright and all-Star Superman and everything else. So this is building on the concept of what Superman means. You know, what? what is he doing this for? He's been flying around and doing the whole stereotypical Superman thing of, you know, saving kittens from trees, just helping people change tires. The, the little side things you kind of all expect the you know the all-american boy scout superman from like the image that they had from him from the 60s and the 70s of him just being there and doing every little thing to make metropolis's kind of life easier and and just does everything for everybody even if it's not something that's really necessary for somebody as powerful as fucking superman to have to do he's still there to do it and they're really kind of pushing the question of what is this guy here for is he just here to Knock around and do all these things that people could do. And they, they touch upon the concept of Superman is here to give everybody hope. And that's, I know everybody gets a little irritated about the whole, well, oh, on my planet, it's not an S, it's a symbol. It actually means hope. That is actually from the comics. They're growing on it here, and that's what Superman is supposed to mean to people. And that's why Superman is, is so Agreed. powerful. And that's why people get irritated when Superman gets dark. Uh I personally am not irritated by Man of Steel because I understand that it's a story and it has to grow and it's not the whole act or the the whole story in that one movie. It's gotta start somewhere. And this is a good start and it's a good building of that Superman as hope kind of thing. He he brings that little bit of light into the darkness that kind of shines away, which is ironic because he's he's flying around in Batman's cast off costume <laughs> he ripped
0: off of him in the last issue. Yeah,
1: yeah, because he's got Batman's cape with a pilot hat or cap like a kind of Eddie reminds Hater me of the Rocketeer. With the black uh, T-shirt that's got his his symbol kind of drawn on with, uh, like, gel paint. Uh, and he's just been flying around doing, you know, little things to kind of help out here or there. Uh, and we finally, you know, we happen upon some action with an actual supervillain in this one. It seems to be Parasite. Uh, and Parasite, in some stories, is created by Luthor. So it still kind of works out. We touched upon Luthor in the previous issue. I can't remember if we had Luthor in earlier stories. It, we're building on that whole enmity between Superman he and we Lex Luthor. Him,
0: uh, I think, either last issue or the issue before.
1: That was last issue, but I don't know. I couldn't remember if Lex and Clark had ever known each Not other before. Miss. Like before, in you know, like issue three, was the I don't boat. Lex
0: was on there. Lex doesn't have friends.
1: He wasn't. A, he wasn't on the ship. And then four was the interview. And then this is five. Um, so. It basically the whole thing is kind of a test to well one testing out the the organism but I think two is a little bit to kind of test to push to see where Superman would go with the whole thing and they you know throw the parasite back in and they're they're building towards the the actual parasite that everybody knows and kind of sighs whenever he gets brought out because he's a stupid character but uh, it's kind of building towards that he's a part of the Superman universe so it works but it's it's more there to build up the Superman character than anything else. And I think it did a pretty good job. really loving this series. I can't wait to see kind of where it goes, and I'll be sad when it's over. I will give this four Batman capes. And I think the key to getting you guys to like
0: Superman I, is American I really Alien. like this issue. If I didn't pick Spider Woman as my pick, this probably would have been my pick of the week. This was really, really strong. To me, the standout part of it is the conversation in the office between Luther and Superman. I think it's such dynamic and powerful writing that really nails the those characters. Um, I think that is just an amazing scene with spectacular dialogue. The art's good. I mean, I, I loved everything about this book. I would give it four and a half Lex Corpse. So we're on to Savage Dawn, which I don't think Carissa read. So two Savage Dawn parts uh, came out this week. First one was Superman Wonder Woman number 27, written by peter j tomasi art so a whole bunch of artists uh jamie mendoza doug menke and cliff richards so this one is basically superman and the free justice league and his friends battling all of savage's children uh and basically savage is using them to kind of test the meteor and see what it will do before he goes and exposes himself to it uh which is you know pretty smart and and very evil that he's convinced his children that he you know he loves them and has this grand plan for them but really they're just they're guinea pigs to make sure that the meteor interacts correctly with him so the all of his children are getting more and more powerful, but they can't contain the energy. And like the wonder twins for lack of a better term for them have been like duplicating themselves to make an army to fight the justice league. So like each individual clone is weaker. So they start exploding from the energy and eventually like uh Salvax, the Conan, the barbarian uh, kid, he explodes. So all the kids are going up like Roman candles and Superman and Savage are like fighting in space uh, near the, the meteor. Uh, This issue, it was all right, but it was very much to me felt like a, a comic book issue and that there's not that much really going on other than the action that's taking place. The art had some good parts, but was a little inconsistent. Overall, I think this was very much a filler issue for it. And I think Superman Wonder Woman has been one of the weaker books in this this lineup.
1: Which is irritating because the
0: book for a while was not no, a it was one book. of book. It's been a week. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Well, it's gonna like be a pretty they do the rebirth uh, thing. This one, I mean, if you're if you care about Savage Dawn, you probably need to read this for how it advances the plot. But if you just want to read a good comic book, you could probably skip this one. I well, eh, I mean, it is what it is, you know. Some comic <laughs> books are just comic books, some are much better than that. Uh, I give this uh wait, did I say three and a half? No, three. Gotta gotta downgrade it.
1: Ouch. I kind of have to agree. It was literally just action to carry on the story. I've not been terribly impressed with Savage Dawn. I was with the last issue, but the rest of it, not so much. It was a vehicle to get Superman back his powers and kind of explain it, but it all, it seemed kind of trite and done, not terribly clever, and a waste of Vandal Savage as a character. I think I'll give this one three... So templates. this
0: was kind of a, a useful bridge over to Superman number fifty, which is the end of Savage Dawn, and is pretty good. I think that Savage Dawn is strongest when Savage is explaining what he's doing, why he's doing it, and that everyone else has failed. That he's not, you know, that he's not some evil villain, that he's he views himself as the sort of savior and rightful ruler of the the planet. That he's, you know, sure, millions and millions and millions of people are going to die but you know from those ashes will emerge something much stronger and this one is really i think gives you some good characterization for superman and savage both so they're they're fighting on this this comet and you know they're they're punching each other and leaping from like asteroid to asteroid and savage punches superman down to earth and he and one of his sons uh goes down and i Think that the other son, like, basically, is running like a computer simulation, like a virtual reality thing for Superman, where he's kind of seeing different, puzzler. yeah, puzzler,
1: yeah, puzzlers. He specifically so says he, he is.
0: is showing him. It reminded me kind of a cross between, um, like, a Christmas Carol, where you have the you know ghost of the future, past, present, and future, because he's showing him. Savage is showing him what would have happened in the the past, what the present could be, and what the future could be. It also really reminds me of when Christ is taken by uh, Satan up to the top of the mountain and shown the entire world that could be his, you know, and he has to – because Superman is is tempted by what he sees. So Savage shows him the past with Krypton where – You find out that the meteor that was going towards, that ended up going towards Earth was originally going to hit Krypton, but they threw it out of the path because it was going to crash into the planet and kill a bunch of people. And Savage's idea is that if they had let it impact the planet, yeah, a lot of people would have died, but they would have been stronger and a leader would have emerged um, from the energy of the meteor who would have been able to save the planet's core from exploding. So lots of people would die. But in the end, it would save the planet, which is kind of Savage's whole idea for what he's doing. So I thought that was interesting. And you get to see uh, Clark getting to interact with his parents um, and see the rocket ship uh, and all of that. So you see those parts of his past um, that they learned from the, the Fortress of Solitude when they had control of it. And then Savage takes him to the present and basically shows him his version of the Justice League. Uh, but it's it's a mix of some of the heroes and some of the villains. Like you have like Gorilla Grodd and like other other characters who are normally thought of as villains that are like part of the league. And Superman is kind of like their general who's leading them to battle. Uh, and Superman really likes that. He likes leading these people. He likes that they work together as a team. Um, so that's very, very tempting for him. Um, and then you also see a vision of the future that's tempting as well. But throughout all of these these things that Savage is showing him, it's it's like Superman's parents are the ones who actually are kind of prodding him to almost like reject the the virtual reality that is being shown, kind of reminding him that there is a responsibility that comes with power um, and that they, the type of man that he should be. Yes, with great power must come great responsibility. So you kind of have... Clark, you especially with uh, like Pa Kent, where there's this kid that he wants to beat up and, you know, he says that he could, you know, do it really easily, but uh, his adopted Earth father, you know, basically, convinces him not to do that, which is kind of the same lesson that lets him reject this utopia with like a poison core that he's been shown. And then he's able to actually talk to a puzzler and tell him, you know, that you can choose to be something more... Than what Savage has made you to be, you can you know you can embrace a new path, and so he kind of does that, and they basically destroy the the meteorite, which really <laughs> pisses Savage off. So I, I like this book. I like that you presented Savage had a point of view, and Superman had a choice to make, you know, and that he was tempted by it, but that his inherent, both his inherent goodness and the guidance of his parents allowed him to sort of triumph over savages um seduction is not the right word but like his brainwashing almost
1: i would think it was kind of a seduction he was trying to get him over i, to I his enjoyed side. this
0: book very much
1: episode kind of made me think of a couple things one uh the there's an Episode of Justice League, I think it was unlimited. It might have been just the classic, the main Justice League series called Hereafter, where Superman gets thrown into an alternate future where Earth is dead, basically. And Vandal Savage is the last living being on Earth, or at least the last living human. And, And the whole thing happened because of a scheme he was trying to do. Um, and he and Superman kind of team up, but that's mostly because it's Vandal Savage and Superman just kind of talking to each other, just kind of one on one. I'll give it three. And a so half cases.
0: the last part of the special edition that I had is part of the Apocalypse War, which is Extraordinary X Men number eight uh, from Marvel Comics, written by Jeff Lemire, uh, art by Umberto Ramos, Victor Ola- Olazaba. And Victor Ibanes. Um, so basically, Apocalypse War is a series of thematically linked events in X Men books, but they're not actually—it's not actually one storyline. So there will be three in each of the X Men books. There's going to be a story about Apocalypse, but they're not—it's not one continuous story. So if you just like the Extraordinary X Men one, you can read that. If you like the Astonishing X Men one, you can read that one. This one basically is the story of um, they're recovering all of the mutants that are being affected by the Impox and the Terrigen Mists um, and taking them to Limbo, to their X-Haven place that they have, when they encounter a whole bunch of like new mutant signatures that are coming up, like 600 of them. And the thing is, with the Terrigen mist, they're not supposed to be able to have any more mutants, so this is... Something they need to go investigate, so they they go to Japan and they find this really creepy alternate dimension, like mutant geneticist uh, that they fight. Uh, his name is Sugar Sugar something, uh, Sugar Man I think, who is just creepy and weird. Um, so they they are they find that all those signatures are embryos that he's created. That he's going to go into the future and become like the ruler of... His plan is to take these embryos and go into into the future and rule them as their, their overlords. So while they're fighting, the time machine that he has um, gets damaged and takes Colossus and some of the new mutants that he's found into the future. And then the other X-Men, the ones who were left behind... They then journey there to go get them, but time flows differently. So when they get there, many years have passed. And you find that Colossus is now uh, basically Apocalypse and has his new horsemen, uh, which are – I think there's Deadpool is there. It looks like Moon Knight um, and Venom. Yeah. So there's only three. I don't know who the fourth one is, but those are the new – the new horseman, so...
1: Yeah, you just said you didn't know who the fourth. Yeah, one was. Yeah, it's,
0: it's Venom, the Moon Knight, and Deadpool.
1: Yeah, the other one's Klauses. That's only three.
0: Isn't he Apocalypse, though? Because he says, to me, my horseman...
1: Yeah, he's the head of the horseman pre-selling stuff for this is was saying that it was those oh, four okay
0: then i was mistaken i thought that he was somehow now apocalypse but i guess he's he might the be the fourth
1: he might have apocalypse be one of the horsemen so but i
0: i enjoyed this one um i like extraordinary x-men it's my favorite of the x-men books and this was kind of everything that i i like about it there's also a pretty sweet uh dr strange kind of story in the back
1: I like that, um, but I didn't know, like the main story.
0: The art was kind of—I didn't like the way they drew magic or magic in the the backup story, but the the story itself was really good. So I ended up giving Extraordinary X Men uh, three and a half mutant embryos. What do you think, Matt?
1: Three. I prefer another artist, and maybe it might be a good book. I don't like Umberto Ramos in anything. He's not a horrible artist. I just. I don't like his style. Yeah,
0: I mean, there's a difference between quality and style. I mean, you can, you know, see that somebody's not terrible. You just don't like their style. Like with the Night Brand or Night, whatever that book was that Chris (laughs) picked, uh, it wasn't bad. I just it wasn't my wasn't my cup of tea. You know, the Apocalypse Wars. They're like I said, they're thematically linked, but it's not one continuous story. So if you like them, you can keep reading the one for each issue. If you don't like a certain book, you, you're not going to miss the the plot if you don't read all of them. So, kind of up to you on Apocalypse War, what you want to do. Uh, I probably will read all of them because they're all pretty decent books in my opinion. So, so those are the books we read this week. Check out our weekly poll list and other nerd shenanigans. Go check out PoorColorNerds.com or our Facebook page, Color Nerds. You can follow us on Twitter, on Instagram. You can also find the podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, and on Podcast Addict. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and be sure to come back next week for another episode. Until then, keep reading, nerds.